Welcome to China in Context. I'm Duncan Bartlett. There are some striking paradoxes in the approach towards climate change taken by China. On the one hand, it burns more coal than the rest of the world combined. Last year, the government approved many new coal power plants, a new one every week, according to the BBC. Yet on the other hand, China is one of the world's largest investors in clean energy. So could there soon be enough energy generated from wind, solar and hydroelectricity to enable China to completely phase out the use of fossil fuels? If so, when might that happen? This week, I'm pleased to welcome two experts who've dedicated a great deal of study to how China generates power, as well as the global implications of its policies. Dorothy May is a project manager at Global Energy Monitor. She's on the line from California. Hello, Dorothy. Hi, Duncan. Nice to meet you. Also taking part in our discussion today is her colleague, Martin Wheel, who's based in New York. Martin, good to have you with us. It's my pleasure. Now, Xi Jinping, China's president, has said that its carbon pollution will peak by 2030, and it will then stop adding it to the atmosphere altogether by 2060. I'm assuming on that basis, that this means no more energy will be produced by fossil fuels after a certain point. Can you talk us through the Chinese plan? Sure. Thank you, Duncan, for having us. Um, so China's past to um, carbon neutrality is a multifaceted approach that involves various strategies and approaches uh, from different sectors. Um, so at the energy sector um, is responsible for nearly 90% of greenhouse gases emission. Um, so one of its key pillars of their uh, plan is the transition to renewable energy sources. And in 2021, Chinese government has set a target deriving 80% um, of uh, its energy from non-fossil fuel sources by 2060. Uh, so to achieve this, um, they have set a target of reaching at least 1,200 gigawatts of wind and solar uh, capacity by 2030. And this massive expansion of clean energy infrastructure is expected to help China reduce its reliance on coal-fired plants for uh, electricity generation. Thank you. Before we get into more detail about what China's doing, let me ask you this question. Your organization is based in the United States. That's another very large investor in clean energy. But some of our listeners may well be thinking to themselves, how credible is the report written about China, written by an American organization, given the tension between the two countries? Our approach to researching and reporting on the global energy landscape, uh, including China, is rooted in credibility, verifiability, and unbiased analysis. Our tracker, our data tracker and research are built on a wide range of sources, including government publications, um, industry reports, academic studies, and other reputable sources. And we also conduct independent analysis based on our data and maintain objectivity through our research process. Now, there's a line in your report which stood out to me with regard to wind capacity. You said that China's combined onshore and offshore wind capacity now surpasses 310 gigawatts. Not quite sure I really can conceptualize what a gigawatt is, but you say in the report that's double the 2017 level. And you then helpfully add that's equivalent to the next seven countries combined. 
Talk us through how it's achieved this. Firstly, uh, the Chinese government has provided generous fading uh, tariff subsidies for renewable energy in the past decade. They've also implemented favorable taxation policies for um, investors to participate. And another crucial factor contributing to this achievement is the availability of generous financing of options. Last but not least, another very strategic advantage in China is dominance in the process and refining of key wind turbine minerals, for example, the rare earth elements. Um, this has strengthened its, its position as a base for wind turbine component manufacturing. Well, let's turn to Martin now in New York. In this report, you claim that China could easily surpass its target of supplying a third of its power consumption through renewable sources by 2030, which is quite soon. What do you see as being the long-term implications of this switch to renewables? I imagine that one day we're going to hear an announcement from Beijing, we don't need any more coal or oil. We're totally green now. (laughs) Where do you think that could come? That's the real question. We think there's every reason that China will reach its peak of emissions, at least in the electric power sector, uh, earlier than the 2030 target. Indeed, they might reach that peak as soon as next year at the rate at which wind and solar are being added. But the real question is how quickly they descend from that peak. And the signals are unfortunately not very clear. Uh, Dorothy mentioned the big wind and solar mega bases in China's Northwest. They're huge. They're hundreds of gigawatts, uh, which, uh, which whatever, whatever those are, trust me, that's a lot of power. But the problem is wind and solar energy is not predictable. You know, the, the sun sets, the wind sometimes doesn't blow. And so there's backup power needed. The way China is setting things up in these big, massive bases is to integrate the new renewables with new coal. And our, our report documents that, that probably one could expect from these big new uh, renewables investment, one unit of electricity from new coal power plants to accompany each unit of electricity from new solar plant. That is not the transition that we need. We think and hope that China could take a series of measures in the way they operate their system that would require less backup from coal. So the question is, do we really need one kilowatt hour of fossil fuel to accompany each kilowatt hour of new renewable. We, we think there's potential for progress, and that's what's going to determine how soon there's going to be no more coal power generated. Now, we tend to present renewable energy projects as the best way forward for society, but some of them are controversial. For example, China's begun operating the world's largest hybrid solar and hydropower plant on the Tibetan plateau. Now, I know for sure that some local people aren't happy with that plan, In your study of energy in China, did you look at the social and political implications of projects, or were you just there to crunch the numbers, as it were? Among ourselves, we talk about this a lot, and there's a lot of concern about environmental justice. But our mission, you know, as set down by our funders, is to document the build-out and to crunch the numbers, as you say. It's not in our report, but I'll offer you these thoughts. It is certainly true in China, like in other areas, um, 
these projects uh, can bring about controversy. And the, and the controversy is mainly over land use and fair compensation for land requisition. This can get quite acute in China. You know, we know that there, there is on, on occasion opposition. And you even learn that at some point, at, in, at some times that the opposition reaches the point where there are, you know, of, of, of civil dis disobedience, if not violence. In all the articles I've read about stuff, you'll see sometimes we successfully commissioned plant X and we overcame many challenges, the weather, the pandemic. Oh, and uh, there were a few days when the local people shut down our, shut down our work site. You know, so you, you get this kind of anecdotal stuff. Um, to be fair, all energy projects in China require, you know, environmental impact assessment. And there's, there's room for civil society input to a certain extent in what's called the social stability uh, risk analysis part of the project permitting. But to be honest, neither the permitting process nor the legal system in China give close to the same weight to opposition from civil society as is the case certainly here in the United States and probably in other Western democracies. And this is really a personal comment, uh, not an organizational comment. You hope there's a happy medium somewhere between steamrolling opposition, local opposition as can happen in a top-down system such as China's on the one hand, and on the other hand, the outsized ability of a small number of disaffected people to block renewable energy projects for years and even decades uh, in the United States. Well, thank you, Martin. Dorothy, I'd like to come back to you as we draw to a close. Now, here in the UK, several environmental pressure groups such as Extinction Rebellion and Just Stop Oil play a role as provocateurs of the sidelines. Their followers take the view that it's their moral duty to make a big noise about what they see as the climate emergency. And they often go on marches or block streets around Parliament. Sometimes they disrupt sports events. They even glue themselves to paintings. Now, I very much doubt that such protests directed towards the government in Beijing would be tolerated in China. So that leads me on to one of my last questions. Are there outside forces applying pressure on the CCP to be more ambitious in terms of its approach towards climate change? Or is the impetus for change coming from within the system? I think the impetus for um, China's ambitious um, approach towards climate change and enormous buildouts of uh, renewable energy facilities uh, described in our reports primarily um, coming from the Chinese system. Um, and there are multiple motivators that have converged to propel the Chinese government to make uh, substantial investment in this area. Um, internally, there are voices uh, within China that advocate for, for more aggressive measures to phase out coal and expedite the transition to cleaner energy sources. And these voices um, recognize the urgent need to address climate change and promote uh, sustainable economic growth and ensure energy security. And because China's emissions are not just its own problem, um, but also the world's problem. So it's inevitably that voices coming outside of China uh, will speak on this issue as well. And, and for example, in our report, you know, we have admitted that China has made huge improvement 
um, in, in, you know, in, in terms of renewable development, but we also point out that they are still facing the challenges, especially, you know, when you talk about coal, it is still the very, um, the biggest, um, you know, energy source and dominating the, the China's energy mix. Um, so, you know, many international figures and organizations have expressed their views and engaged in discussion with the Chinese government to um, encourage stronger efforts in terms of addressing climate change. For example, uh, John Kerry, uh, the US Special Climate Envoy, and um, his discussion with the Chinese officials will, you know, there is, uh, was undoubtedly touch on a climate change issue. So these external voices, um, you know, serving as a reminder that China's emissions have implications beyond its borders and, um, and, and there's an, you know, urgent need for collaborative action. And in our report, we titled as a, a race to the top. And what we would love to see is a race where countries like the US, China, India, um, the EU and others to push each other to do more. Um, so not just with words, um, but through concrete actions and the power of their own example. Well, finally, this is a great study. So congratulations. What's next on your agenda in terms of researching the global energy situation? We would like to continue our investigations into how coal could be replaced more rapidly. You said at the beginning that the central paradox of China is the simultaneous build out of renewables and coal. This paradox needs to be resolved in favour of renewables. Well, thank you both so much for joining me and talking about this important topic. That was Dorothy May in California and Martin Whale in New York, and they both work for Global Energy Monitor. This podcast is made by the SOAS China Institute in London. You can find out more about our courses and research at soas.ac.uk. But for now, that's all from us here on the China in Context podcast team. Thank you.